23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke and verse 26. And when they led him, Jesus, away, they laid hold of one Simon of Cyrene coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. This is the picture of a man taking life's most important step, the step from the sidewalk to the street. From his vantage point on the sidewalk where he was watching a parade, he got into the parade. From a parade watcher to a parade marcher. From a cross admirer to a cross bearer. From a spectator to a participant. He took the big step from the sidewalk to the street. Oh, I know he was conscripted to do it. He was just in town for the feast of the Passover. He lived on the northern part of Africa, probably a black man. And he came for the celebration of Jewish independence. So many came for that feast of the Passover that the population of Jerusalem swelled to the millions. And he was just in the middle of a crowd one day standing on a corner, minding his own business, watching the people pass, when he saw a strange and frightening sight. A man was being brought to be crucified. He had heard about crucifixion before, but he'd never been eyewitness to one. And he saw this crowd coming, pulling a man along. He was beaten half to death. His back was shredded. He had on his head a crown of thorns. And he was dragging on his back a cross. Just as he got right in front of Simon, as though it had been planned in eternity past, as though it had been foreordained in the counsels of God, he fell under the weight of that cross right in front of Simon. And the soldiers reached out and got him into the street and they put the cross on him. I can hear his protest across the centuries. I don't even know this man. I don't even know what crime he's done. I'm not guilty of anything. I don't want to get involved. But in that moment when they thrust the cross on his back and drug him into the street, Simon became a participant in life's most thrilling drama, the drama of worldwide redemption. I submit to you this morning that the world is crying for us to get from the sidewalk to the street. With regard to several crucial issues, I'll mention just two. First, with regard to what happens when we gather in the church. I tell you, we have become a generation of spectators. And we come to church on Sunday morning for what we can hear and what we can see. And in our most honest moments, we will admit to ourselves that we'll come back continually if the worship leaders produce, if they deliver, if what I hear and what I see, I like. We have become a generation of spectators, and so we come to church on Sunday morning to watch and to listen. And the scenario, scenario is this. We are the audience the worship leaders are the performers, and God in the wings is the prompter. When in reality, the scenario is this. God is the audience, 
And you are the performers, the actors, and the worship leaders are the prompters. Barclay tells that every week, every Sunday, a man came to church but never came in. He stood in the vestibule, back at the back, and never came down. And one day the pastor said to his chief deacon, chief usher, when that man comes next Sunday, insist that he come in and worship. I'm disturbed. I'm, I'm distressed by the fact that he stands at the back. It disturbs me. And if he refuses, you insist. And so the next Sunday he was there, as always, standing in the vestibule to watch and to listen and to look. And the usher went up to him and said, Let me usher you in. Come on in and join us in worship. But he resisted. And so he insisted, Come on in and worship. I insist. Come on in to our worship and be seated. And the man turned and left and never came back. What do I mean this morning when I say we need to get from the sidewalk to the street with regard to what happens in this place? What do I mean when I talk about the fact that we are spectators in worship? Well, let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you got up this morning and dressed thinking, I'm going down to the First Baptist Church and encounter God? And how many of you, when you dressed, anticipated that when you got here this morning, you were coming in order to meet God face to face? And another question, how many of you are different when you leave? And what's changed after having come? Vance Havner said, watch the church on Sunday morning when it gives up its dead. And you can see in the face of the people that they went to God's house, but they didn't meet Him there. Ralph Langley was getting dressed one night to go to listen to John Kennedy speak. He was running for president. A man invited him, a wealthy man in his church, to go with him and listen to Kennedy speak. For $100 a plate, they were going. He's thinking that probably that was in the 60s, probably $1,000 a plate dinner now. And the preacher was thinking as he was getting ready, you know, must be a wonderful meal, must be a feast. Man, I'm looking forward to that. $100, but it must be a spread. He said, when I got there, I found that all they had to eat was some old cold-baked ham, some powdered potatoes, and a hard roll. He said, I looked across the table, and the guy across from me hadn't touched a bite. I said to him, man, you better eat up. You paid $100 for that. You better eat it all. Eat the paper plate. Get your money's worth, $100. He said, the man said, I can't stand this stuff. He said, I can't eat this. He said, when I started home that night, I was thinking to myself, my, what a waste. A man paid $100 for a plate of food and didn't taste a bite of it. Then he said, I remember all the people that come to my church on Sunday morning where a banquet is being spread. And I can see in their faces, hunger as big as my hand. They watch while others, some others feast, but they turn away hungry. He said, I want to call after them, Oh, taste of the Lord, oh, taste of the Lord, for He is good. I believe in the church gathered, I believe in the church scattered that we need to take the gospel outside of it, but I also believe in the church gathered. And the reason why we're so ineffective when we're in the world scattered is because we're so ineffective when we're in the church gathered. We're a bunch of spectators. And the world is waiting for us to get from the sidewalk to the street with regard to what happens when we leave. 81% of Americans say they are Christians, according to Gallup poll. 
In that same article that described 81% Americans as Christians, the title of the article was, Religion Up, Morality Down. 50 million Americans claim to be born again. In the last decades, people have come out of the closets in books and candidates and tapes to declare they are born again. But while 50 million Americans claim to be born again, it is, it is obvious that we live in the midst of religion that is up, but at the same time, so are the morals that are remittingly opposed to the truth of Christianity. That's up also. One out of two marriages ends in divorce. One out of three pregnancies is terminated by abortion. Homosexuality is no longer seen as perversion. There are a hundred times more burglaries in Christian America than in pagan Japan. A hun one out of a hundred people in America will be victims of a violent crime. Why is it that we live, this is the paradox, that we live in an age of unprecedented religiosity and at the same time morals are disintegrating it's because we have become a nation of spectators and we watch and do nothing as our country is dismantled and deteriorating and the morals are destroyed. We are a nation of spectators. A few years ago I visited for the second time Westminster Abbey. I like to tell that occasionally, let you know I'm a world traveler. Now, I went to Westminster Abbey this this museum of historic greatness, this citadel of, of religious uh, power, this Gothic cathedral that is so magnificent in its beauty, where people are buried and where people are worshipped. There's a little old lady one day visiting Westminster Abbey. She was in a tour group. She was a typical flatland tourister. She had on her tennis shoes, a little brownie camera on a string around her neck. And while this sophisticated British guide was describing Westminster Abbey and all of its glory, she was wanting to be heard. She had her hand up. She was wanting to ask a question. And finally, when he kind of was catching his breath, he recognized her, and this little flatland tourister said, Pardon me, sir, but, but I hope I'm not out of order, but has anybody been saved here lately? That's a question we cannot avoid. While we sit in our pews, surrounded by its beauty, listening to the magnificence of a great choir, while we sit in luxury and comfort, we cannot avoid the question, has anybody been saved here lately? For if we're not taking the gospel of Jesus Christ into our various world spheres, we have no reason to exist and we have no right to preach the gospel. And I need to ask you a question this morning. How many people will step into heaven because of your witness? How many people has come to know the Lord because you've pressed the claims of Christ to their life? I'll let you off with a lesser question than that. Let me ask you this question. How many people can you name right quick? Can you name five people for whom you've prayed that they'd be saved in the last month? The world is waiting for us to get from the sidewalk to the street. Point number two. If you get from the sidewalk to the street and you understand the analogy, that is to become involved in redemption, is to get into the plan of God for the world, if you get from the sidewalk to the street, it will cost you a great price. 
Now for Simon the Cyrenian to get from the sidewalk to the street, he had to go by way of the cross. It is no different. When Jesus called men to follow him, he called them to a cross. He said, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. If you get from the sidewalk to the street, it will cost you dearly. It may cost you some time. It may cost you some tears. It may cost you some trouble. You will go by way of the cross. Now, you've heard preachers talk about taking up the cross. What does that mean? I believe it means that we begin to choose against ourselves and we begin to consent to our death. It means I choose against my own plans and dreams for life. It means I choose against my own selfish desires. I choose His will. It means I consent to die. It means I'm willing to follow Him regardless of what it costs. It'll cost you a great price if you follow Him. Now I want to help you to see something. Now I want you to become more than a spectator in this worship service. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now 2 Timothy is a little epistle over toward the back of the New Testament. So you just find Romans or 1 Corinthians and you work your way to the right and you'll find 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to begin reading at verse 15. A familiar verse. Verse 15 of chapter 2 starts like this. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Here it is, verse 20. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to, to honor and some to dishonor. You hear what he says? He says that in the house of God, in this place this morning, there are some vessels of honor and there are some vessels of dishonor, some gold and some wood. Look at verse 21. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. God can use a dirty vessel. He can use any kind of vessel. He, 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 he used Judas. The issue is not what kind, can God use a dirty vessel? The question is, what use is God making of your life? That's the question. Now watch me carefully. We have the choice of being gold or wood. We can be vessels of honor or we can be vessels of dishonor. That's our choice. 
But what is the characteristic, what is the qualification of becoming a vessel of honor, somebody that God can use? Well, the answer is that he cleanses himself. He purifies his life from every hindrance, known hindrance. Henry Blackaby says it like this, if you're going to be where God is at work, you're going to have to make some major adjustments in your life. McChaney puts it like this, he says, that the kind of person God uses, this is what he said, God uses likeness to Jesus. Now watch me carefully. What would it take this morning in your life for your life to have the likeness of Jesus about it? What kind of adjustment would you have to make this morning to have a likeness of Jesus about your life? That's the price you'll have to pay to get from the sidewalk to the street. And the amazing thing about the New Testament is, is that when Jesus called people to follow him, he called them not in spite of the cross, he called them because of it. For he seemed to know that the kind of people that would turn the world upside down were the kind of people who would love the opportunity to give their life up to Jesus. And I read where Sir Francis Drake would come back from his exploits on the high seas. And he would get with these little boys, these farm boys, and he would tell them about the dangers of the sea, about brigands and, 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 and pirates and, and storms and death. And these boys would beg him to let them, let them go with him. I'm talking to some big football players out here this morning and a host of college students. What a privilege to preach to these people. Let me tell you what it will take for you to get from the sidewalk to the street. It'll take everything in your life that keeps you from being like Jesus. But the amazing thing is that that's the thing that challenges men to follow him. Chesterton put it like this. He said, for every one person who wants peace, there are ten who want drums for what a person needs. And the last analysis is not comfort, but sacrifice. You've heard this before. You'll hear it again. Telemachus was in the grandstands that day when the gladiator stepped out to do battle and they saluted themselves to die. And Telemachus was there as a spectator to watch these gladiators fight to their death, but he could stand it no longer. And so he shouted, In the name of Jesus, cease! And the crowd laughed at the fool who was making a fool out of himself. And the emperor laughed. But Telemachus was serious. He crawled down out of the grandstands and he ran out into the arena and he stood between the two gladiators and he held up his hands with his face to heaven and said, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, forbear. And the crowd laughed at the fool a second time, but the emperor didn't laugh. And when the din of laughter died away, the emperor did like this. And so their swords passed through the body of Telemachus and he fell on the floor, a sandy floor of the arena, his blood spurting out over them and over the dust. And they stood there for a moment looking at this man before them and they embraced and they turned to walk away. And in the silence of that awesome moment, everybody in the grandstands, one by one, began to file out 
And the historian is my witness when he said, not a word was spoken, not a person was left. Everybody filed out of the arena. And the historian continues as my witness to say, and there's never been a gladiatorial battle fought in the world since. And he got from the grandstand to the arena, and he got from the sidewalk to the street, but it cost him his life, and it will cost you yours. One last thought, please. If you get from the grandstands to the arena, from the sidewalk to the street, it'll be the most significant thing that's ever happened in your life. To become involved in the plan of redemption for the world is the most significant thing of life. Now let me give you what is what I, I call the gospel according to Tidwell. The gospel according to Tidwell is this, that a tragedy is not just something bad that happens to you. A tragedy could be something good that could have happened to you but didn't. Now how we define a tragedy is like this. Well, some, an airline went down and crashed and a hundred people died. What a tragedy. Let me tell you a greater tragedy than that. It's to live your life and something good could have happened to you and didn't. Are you listening to me this morning? The greater tragedy today is that you stand before God one day having lived your life on the sidewalk. The greater tragedy is for you to live your life and die and miss the significance of being in the street. That's the greater tragedy. And I can't think of anything any worse this morning than for a person to have an opportunity to be in the street and miss it. The most significant thing that will ever happen to you is to be in the street for two reasons. I'll brush them and then we're through. First, because it's in the street where His presence is. Now if you guys are going to read the book Experiencing God, and one of those uh, principles in that book is that we need to find where God is and get in on what He's doing, right? Get, find where God is and get in on it. Well, let me tell you where He's not. He's not on the sidewalk. And I can give you a head start on finding where God is. The head start on finding out where God is is to find out where there is human need and human lostness and human despair. That's where He is. And we quote those promises, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. And we forget about the fact that that promise is conditioned upon the preface. And the preface of that word is, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And therefore, I'm with you all way, even to the end of the earth. For what he's saying is this, that if you want to be where God is, you're going to have to get off the sidewalk. He's in the street. The second reason why it's the most significant thing that will ever happen to you is this. It's because it's out in the street where the blessings of God are in abundance. Let me tell you who are the happiest young people. The happiest young people are the people 
who have become a participant in what God is doing in this world. Let me tell you who are the happiest church members. The happiest church members are the people who are involved and, and the people that are miserable and gripe and complain about what goes on at the church and what's, you know, don't like their preacher, all that good stuff, are the people who are sitting on the sidewalk because it is out in the street where the blessings are in abundance. A number of years ago, I took some young people down to the Astrodome. It was the first um, year the Astrodome was open. Now it's old hat, so I'll tell you how old I am. I went to the Astrodome. The first week they opened the Astrodome. And I took some young people down there, and back then they had what they called the Dome Skeller. Now the Dome Skeller is a picnic area on ground level in the Astrodome. I don't know if they still do that or not, but back then they had this picnic area in the Astrodome where you could just take your groups and you could go out and, and you could uh, get a picnic and go out there and sit around these tables and watch the players as they warmed up. And so we did. We had this group of young people, and sponsors, and we were sitting on, out there in the Dome Skeller eating a picnic lunch, and the Los Angeles Dodgers were playing the Astros that night, and the Dodgers were out in the outfield warming up. This guy's over shagging flies, you know, during batting practice. He came over to our group and was talking to us. The only thing that separated us from the players was a chicken wire fence. And this lady was with us. She was very extroverted. She was a clown. And she was talking to this, this Dodger player. And, and he had a baseball. He had just caught a baseball out there. And so she said, could I have that baseball? And he said, sure. So he went over there and he's kind of stretched out the chicken wire a little bit and pushed that baseball through. And boy, she's proud of that thing. The interesting thing about this was that during the game, that, that ball player who gave her that baseball got the game-winning hit. And I thought about it a thousand times, a thousand times. I'd a whole lot rather be out on the field getting game-winning hits than up in the grandstands begging for souvenirs. Our prayer life has become a matter of begging God for souvenirs. Our prayer life has become this. God bless us. God give us. God do for us. Our prayer life has become a matter of begging God for gifts. Let me tell you where the gifts are. The gifts are out on the field. And so the captain came to Marcellus one day and said, Come and fight with us, Marcellus. We need you. But he wouldn't. He was afraid. And after the great battle, and they had won, the captain came back, and he went straight to Marcellus, and he put his finger in his face and said, Go and kill yourself, man, for we won a great battle, and you were not there. For the tragedy of life is not something bad that happens to you, but something good that could have happened to you and didn't. You could make a decision this morning that would make the most significant change in one's life and in the life of this community. What a tragedy if you don't. And I heard Robert Kennedy quote these words from Robert Frost just before they blew his brains out in California. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I've got promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. The woods are lovely, dark and deep. Who doesn't need a vacation? Somebody asked George Truitt, 
you ever thought about quitting? He was pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. He said, I think about it every Monday. I think about it every Monday. You're not interested in the gory details of the stress that's on a pastor. Just take my word for it. There have been so many times I wanted to quit, I can't count them. But I've got promises to keep. And I've got miles to go before I sleep. Miles to go before I sleep. So now there are some of you this morning, for some of you, it's a long, long way from the sidewalk to the street. But there is a Chinese proverb that says, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. I just want you to take the first step this morning. The first step to the street is this. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never heard Jesus say to you, you are lost and cannot save yourself, but I'll be your Savior, accept me, and you've opened up your heart and life to Him. If you've never heard Him say to you, come and follow me, and you've never begun to follow Him with your life and committed yourself to Him, that's the first step. For some of you this morning, it's a step of commitment, recommitment, perhaps to church membership or to the rededication of your life or to begin to make that adjustment that will make your life Jesus-like. It's a long way, but you can take the first step. Our prayer this morning is, is that out of this crowd and in this balcony and in this choir and in this group, there'd be people who would come to say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to begin to follow Him. I want to get from the sidewalk to the street. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we pray that this invitation will be an invitation chosen by many, an invitation to follow you, to give up a life where they have been in control, to surrender that control of their life to you. I pray, dear God, that the significance of what you're about will begin to be experienced by every single one of us. Help us take that step today, for I pray in Jesus' name. Now there might be some of you this morning, look here, who will want to get up and come and give your heart to Christ. You may be a visitor. We're not asking you to come and join the church. We're asking you to come and give your life to Christ. Perhaps you need to come today to say, I want to commit myself to this church and its ministry. I want to recommit myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm stepping out that first step. Help me from here. Would you do it? While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.